Welcome to the Infinite Attraction Podcast, where we uncover, rediscover, and riff on Miami tech culture with a human-centric take on the builder community. We are your boots on the ground to help you navigate all things happening in the Magic City. We dive into art, music, business, wellness, fitness, psychedelics, and any exploration into living well. I'm Chris Johnson. Elizabeth is out today. So we are going to go right to the guests. Bada bing, bada boom. We got Hard Tech Miami in the house. Carlos and Channing, say what's up, everyone. Good to be here. Thanks for inviting us, Chris. Hi, everyone. Excited to talk nerdy with the squad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, so Channing, we'll start with you. You are the founder of, uh, of Hard Tech Miami. Uh, you also drafted me in the... Um, in the in the in this past Miami Hack Week, and I, I appreciate the, the 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 nod to the team. So yeah, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and what uh, what are you trying to do here in Miami? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, we started Hard Tech Miami back in May. Actually, um, I was a Silicon Valley uh, transplant over to Miami, um, kind of part of this whole Miami movement. I was there for three years at Stripe, uh, and then decided I wanted to start a company over here. Um, kind of in the hard tech space and realized that there wasn't a, a kind of community for that. I, I came here for um, On Deck Miami and listened to a, a kind of a talk by uh, Keith Raboy and Eric Torenberg where they were just kind of discussing the Miami tech ecosystem and said, you know, can you have hard tech, deep tech here? And the answer is just like, uh, you know, it exists, but people just don't know about it. And so we need to kind of have a place to collect those people and then talk about the uh, the ecosystem and kind of show the rest of the world that that is a, a big thing here. And so uh, I took that kind of to heart. And the next day uh, with my sister just built out this, uh, this website. Um, one of our friends, Sebastian Gomez Puerto, uh, invited a bunch of his friends. He's, he's a Miami local. Carlos is one of them. And, uh, and we just hit the ground running. So now we're up to I think 130 members, and we got a, a bunch of events on the way. Um, it's very exciting. Yeah, man. Yeah, you're definitely doing it, man. You're definitely first to market. No competitors in sight. Uh, Carlos, man, uh, tell us a little bit about you're you're a hard tech investor, and uh, what brought you into this hard tech field? Yeah, so I'm as Miami tech as could be. I was a University of Miami biomedical engineering grad, and, and then I launched my own startup. So I'm the co-founder and CEO of Spectral. We're developing a smart clothing fitness tracking service for pro sports teams to help them avoid injury risk and enhance performance. But yeah, no, leaving the University of Miami, I was really motivated to kind of turn the, the scientific first principles I just learned and kind of going out there and make an impact. Medical school wasn't for me just because of the lack of mm-hmm. impact. And yeah, no, to Channing's point, I was just trying to find my tribe, right? I spent a, a little bit of time out in LA and San Francisco, and it was just amazing just going out there and talking to people. And there's just a bunch of deep tech and hard tech founders out there. And when I came back down to Miami, it was very clear that those sort of um, infrastructure wasn't there. And that's when um, Sebastian told me about um, hard tech Miami and what Channing was trying to start. And I was like, I, I have to get involved. This might be the potential to actually be on the bottom up and build my tribe and it's been a, a really amazing journey and i'm extremely excited for the future of miami deep tech and hard tech 
Yeah, yeah. I think I think that you know I didn't really understand the gravity. I was, I was like, oh, hard tech. Oh, that that'd be fun for a hackathon because I'm more of a software guy. Like, let's do that. Uh, but then, and we definitely got to talk about that Delian chat we just had. Um, you know, you, uh, the hard tech setup. But but before we get into that, because uh, there was a lot of amazing stuff that to came of that night last Thursday. You know, let's just define for everyone. You know, what is deep tech? What is hard tech? Is there a difference between the two? Like, let's just like explore that topic so we're all on the same page. Yeah, so I would just say um, they're very, very similar and uh, kind of blurred together. So since there's not like a specific deep tech um, branded organization right now, hard tech is effectively both. Like hard tech Miami is basically both of them. Um, I would say deep tech is anything that's just super cutting edge researchy. So it includes AI, crypto, things like that. And then hard tech is maybe got a, a physical capex tinge to it so you know like robotics biotech things like that yeah do you agree yeah to my thought i think like the nomenclature gets really kind of convoluted right i think in venture capitalists have always referred to it as either deep tech hard tech or even frontier tech i would go as far to say that hard tech has mostly been around like physical hardware manufacturing a physical component while deep tech could kind of encope as a little bit of that biotech that's more of like a wetware not necessarily Mm. something physical and electronics but it could be something as stem cells or genetic engineering. So I think that's, I like out of all the three of them, I like deep tech substantially the best. Yeah, I think I think so too. Because hard tech would kind of mean like hardware, and I don't think that's necessarily what it is. I think it's just any like because like what I do, you know, I build apps and a lot of consumer apps, and it's applied technology. It's like you know we're taking you know like a, like a clubhouse. Like a clubhouse is not deep tech. They just like white labeled uh, audio software and just put it in there, and that's that's applied technology to me. Hardware, hard tech is anything that they're really you know pushing boundaries. Like there's something that's defensible at the end of it like via patent or whatever you're doing it or at least you're you have a big enough head start so uh yeah i think that's that's pretty that's that's a pretty good i think i think everyone gets it john you get that is that <laughs> that's that's a good description no no that's fine that's fine yeah we we actually uh have the hard or uh, deep tech miami.com and uh, all those but uh oh, so you just box the whole thing out we, yeah. we, well so the problem is that there's like another uh there's like a deep house organization that's named deep tech Miami. oh yeah i forgot about that we what me i we did the thing at pure roast and and i heard deep tech and everyone's like oh it's a deep house and then and me and alex were like well, let's play some deep house and everyone's like guys we're trying to talk here and have really intelligent conversations and we're like oh sorry apologize uh so um what are some of the things uh that you see coming out of miami uh right now uh out of this you know, whatever we define as, as deep tech, hard tech. Obviously, we have Magic Leap. They just raised, you know, $500 million to do their, their V2. So what are some of the other, like, you know, like staple Miami hard tech uh, innovations or ventures? I mean, I would say, uh, I mean, I'm curious, Carlos, but uh, some of the ones that I noticed that uh, people other other people haven't talked about as much were, like, Neosis has just raised a massive, I think, Series D and they're doing uh, robotic dental surgeries, so it's just like, and they, you know they uh, have been around Miami for eight nine years, uh, and then another one recently, I think Eight Sleep did uh, a Series C invested in by Founders Fund. They're trying to make sleep uh, super high tech um, through kind of like a bunch of different things. But the first product is a kind of a a mattress that can uh, modulate the temperature to make sure you sleep the best. Yeah, to to your point about Magic Leap, I think it's 
absolutely fascinating story because it's, I guess, the closest thing that sort of Miami has to a PayPal mafia, which is Roni Abovitz, founder of Magic Leap. Mm-hmm. Before he started Magic Leap, he founded this company out of the University of Miami Biomedical Engineering, and it was um, Mako Surgical, which is one of the sort of the pioneers yeah. in medical robotics, right? And Alan Moses, who is now the founder of Neosis, was working for Roni at Mako Surgical. And it was once, I think they exited to one of the big pharma or big biotech um, players, the Fortune 500, and they took that money and they kind of just redeployed it to, <laughs> to Magic Leap and, and Neosis. He had his own and, Elon moment. When it was gonna, you know, do do his one thing, the mundane. But now, hey, you know, I already made one exit. Let's do something fun. So, but it also sounds like medical is is a lot of things that come out of here. Uh, is this is this ecosystem ripe for new medical devices? Yeah, no, I would say without a doubt, it's always been sort of a medical robotics, medical devices, not health tech, which is more like the software approach to solving healthcare problems. But it's always been more on the med tech um, medical devices side of things. And I think it has a potential to, once we see this sort of blend of like software engineers tackling some of these problems, we could get, Miami has a large potential to to do some stuff in healthcare and disrupt healthcare. Do you agree? Oh, I absolutely agree, yeah. Uh, we, we've started seeing a bunch of med tech uh, companies pop into the hard tech Miami pipeline um, and then on your point about getting more software engineers involved, one of the things I've found really interesting lately is seeing all of the different uh, new organizations popping up. So as an example, right, Hard Tech Miami started in May. Um, there's another software engineering meetup that, uh, that just started, I think, in June and has grown fairly significantly. Um, and then, you know, there's another one that's starting to pop up around data science, AI. Uh, and you can just sort of see this snowball where more people moving to Miami, more people seeing these things get popped up. Um, at this point, if you want to start, you know, add a, a Lego block to the Miami tech ecosystem, essentially what it takes is, you know, showing up to the uh, the weekly Miami tech meetups in on Wednesday uh, in Freehold, talk to someone, get added to a, a Telegram group, and then just slap up a website with an event and then share it in that group. And then you're going to have, you know, at least 10, 15, 20 people who show up, and that's the start of something. So I, I just like, I'm very inspired by that, uh, the the ease of starting something big. Yeah, I, uh, I, I'm really inspired by it as well. I mean, obviously, I mean, and then the, and the Wednesday uh, meetup is tomorrow. And uh, I just love the idea. Um, it's something that, that Delian brought up, and I know it's kind of thematic. I know Biology talks about it is, is like if software is coordinate, if bits are coordinating pixels, you know, the marginal returns, if, if any, and the, the largest returns are going to see, you know, uh, the, uh, bits coordinating atoms and obviously the atoms in our body is you know some of the you know the most important ways and it's something you're doing carlos you're, you're using clothing uh, and you're manipulating these things and, and trying to um so why don't you talk a little bit about this, this clothing company and uh, and and how it works and what you're what you're really trying to knock down yeah so our big uh, sort of thesis here at spectral is that you know in by nature right the, the current healthcare system is very sort of symptom driven and, and sick driven, right? And, you know, you, whenever something goes wrong, you have to go and make an appointment and go and talk to a physician, right? And the physician's going to spend three to four minutes on average with you. And you're not going to really leave there understanding too much about your body and what's wrong and what to do about it, right? So I think the, the large paradigm shift is how do we build technology that allows people 
to improve their literacy about their own body so they could take ownership of their healthcare, right? And I think wearable technology is that's sort of the the vision for wearables, right? You're wearing something and it's recording all sorts of things about your body. And then you take those measurements, you look at it and you make a decision based on that to improve your health. I guess the the current paradigm in wearables is that it's one or two metrics, right? It's either heart rate variability, mm-hmm. it's either a respiratory rate. And I think the reality is that the human body is so much more complex than that, that I think we've kind of sort of plateaued on the decisions we can make on this data, right? So the current statistic is it's about 43% of Americans use a wearable. And I think the goal for us is why has it plateaued at 43 and what can we build that leads to sort of that 90% adoption? And we believe that smart clothing, right, integrating these biosensors into clothing is going to be the thing that takes it to that 90% adoption just because it's a form factor that is just so engraved in our fabric, not a pun intended, right? We have to wear clothing. It's not socially acceptable to just walk around naked, right? So it's that low-hanging fruit of just putting on clothing in the morning and how do we reinvent clothing to have more purpose in our daily lives? So how many sensors per, Is it? let's just say it's a shirt, like how many sensors per, per shirt go into that? Yeah, we have over 80 different sensors per, per shirt and, gar- and tights. And then you're, so you can really see, it's almost like your motion capture suit in some way. So you're really kind of seeing this motion and you can kind of maybe, uh, you know, get a little, uh, little syncopation. You can, you can detect kind of those little things like, Hey, you're, you're starting to wear out the left hip more than your right hip. Is that kind of the thought process you guys are, you're going between? Yeah. No, your intuition is spot on. Um, full body motion is one of the metrics that we measure, but we also dive a little bit deeper and we look into the individual muscles the individual's lungs, hearts, and yeah, just what can we measure from there to kind of create a feedback loop where you could kind of understand this data in real time and, and change your behavior. So you said 80 sensors. Is that, that's that's 80 different types of sensors? It would, five different types of sensors. Five different types type of sensors, sensors. 80 sensors total throughout the body. Really? Really? And what are some of the other uh, extrapolations you can you can make with these with these different sensors? Yeah, so there's this really interesting concept of electromechanical delay, right? Which means that your brain is sending signals to your muscles, your muscle picks it up, and then it starts to kind of move, right? You go through the kinematic chain. And it's a very interesting signal because the more fatigued you are, that delay gets larger, right? So it's one of the things that we're measuring that we're really excited about, right? It's just a good proxy for fatigue. Wow. Okay. So you can you can detect those things ahead of time. And, and, and because like a lot of, a lot of industries, either repetitive stress or, you know, or, or if you got hurt, that was because of the bad form of the fatigue you were experiencing. So that's what some of the things that, so if like someone's kind of wearing themselves out too hard, you know, that keep pushing yourself, you know, don't stop. Not always the best, especially at a pro level, you know, these guys can't get hurt. So you're saying that, you know, you can start to kind of have a little sensor, be like, hey, I'll take 47 out. You know, he's he's uh, you know, he's running a little 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 weak here. Give him five minutes. Yeah. So a, a big part of it is right measuring that and, and giving that it, insights to the coach or to the athlete themselves. Right. But the other part of the value proposition is that the data has to be so intuitive that someone could just kind of look at it, understand mm-hmm. it, and make a decision, right? And some of our end users are not really STEM savvy, right? They don't hop on deep tech podcasts like this, and they don't get got on raw data. And I think the goal of the next shift for us is, all right, how do we make this as intuitive as possible that anybody's grandma can really understand what this means and make a quick decision about their body? Wow. 
So what about you, man? Are you uh, so you have Hard Tech Miami, and uh, and then you have another startup that you're kind of augmenting with that. Tell us a little about that. Uh, yeah. So just in general, um, our mission is to make it easier to build these types of companies, and so we have that. Uh, I have a software background, um, and my sister has a product background. And so we've uh, kind of tried to f- leverage our skills in whatever best way possible to help the ecosystem. Right now, it's um, through Hard Tech Miami. We also are looking at uh, trying to make the sourcing process a lot easier because talking to the members of the community, uh, when they start trying to get into the manufacturing something, uh, that process just takes months and months and months. Um, and so we'll have more to share about that a bit later. Uh, but on on Hard Tech Miami's front, I just wanted to uh, say it's like it's uh, the ways we support the community are through uh, bringing them together every month for a founder roundtable where we each kind of it's kind of like a mastermind session uh, where we help crowdsource solutions to each other's problems. Um, we have events like the Delian event, uh, speaker events, trying to kind of bridge the gap between VC. Uh, and, uh, you know, startups who are looking for advice or uh, going through fundraising. And then uh, some of the new things that we're starting to do are workshops, uh, like, for example, uh, like a workshop on printed circuit board design. Uh, so we have a bunch of those kind of in the pipeline. Um, the The community is still, it's a, it's a private community. You can apply on hardtechmiami.com. Um, but we're going to also start doing a little bit more public events just to kind of... Uh, spread awareness of this yeah one of the things and and let's 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 dive into that delian episode because or the the episode uh the the delian event the speaker event that you put on you know it was it was uh, it was at atomic which i thought was founders fun i guess the founders fun was like upstairs or downstairs beautiful area um and and one of the things that he really like one of the key takeaways that i took away from it was that you know snapchat or i'm sorry i'm tiktok that that's not just someone's good idea and it and it got viral like you know that was backed by Tencent and they put a 10 billion dollars into advertising that around the world and if you're unless you're doing something uh, that's really really hard to do you know like a B2B SaaS product like a B2B SaaS product back in the day when starting is when having your own server and there's not just this endless supply of serverless environments to do like that was a hard thing to do and now if you do something that's kind of easy uh, uh, you know anyone can compete with you you know you one of the big guys can just like you know break off one twentieth of of their R and D spend to, to completely sink you, uh, but but really this hard tech stuff is kind of one of the only ways to really get in I I, I think and I, I, I um so this stuff that's hard to do so what are, what are some of the more events you're going to do to to educate the community? Uh, well, so I mean uh, I would say nothing to announce just yet. Uh, oh no. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing to announce just yet, but we we have uh, about twelve either uh, VCs or companies who are looking to co-host something, uh, and so we're, it's just about kind of scheduling it in. Uh, but I completely agree to your point. Uh, you know, hard tech, deep tech, atoms manipulated by bits. Uh, the the kind of point Delian had was that 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 was the area where there's still alpha. Uh, you can you can still make a lot of money on it. And uh, obviously, Founders Fund has been really deep in that uh, area since, since the beginning with uh, things like Tesla, SpaceX, um, you know, Varda, obviously the one that uh, that uh, 
Dellium is most involved in. Yeah, yeah. Can you believe some of the things he was telling us about, like what? <laughs> just his his roadmap to space was just so elegant, you know, in, in every way, and you know, just and and his insights into like, oh yeah, ten years ago you couldn't buy satellites off the shelf. Now you can just do that, and like you know, his sourcing, uh, you know, his sourcing knowledge was was crazy. But uh, but you're you're over there uh, at, at you you were what's your role at UM? Yeah, so I sit on the Innovation Entrepreneurship Advisory Board at the College of Engineering at the University of Miami. So for us, as you know, as a tech ecosystem around the university is just coming to fruition, it's where we have to step up our game and kind of create new programs to improve the innovation output out of the University of Miami. Yeah, what are some of those? What are some of those? I mean, obviously, there's the design and and software part of it, but do you guys have some like hardware initiatives that you guys are exploring? Yeah, so the University of Miami, by its amazing medical school, right, there's a lot of cross-pollination between the engineering school and, and the medical school. There's a institute on biomaterials and biotechnology that's no amazing startups out of there just yet, but there's some really amazing faculty that are sort of pioneering these, this next field. And then there's also other really amazing departments, um, agriculture, engineering, and also aerospace engineering. And there's a lot of interesting cross-pollination there across the board it's just it's sort of the early innings compared to other more established engineering schools across the country like uh say an mit or stanford right and when you look at the history of those sort of engineering schools they all sort of had a a crisis right if if we're talking mit or harvard engineering it was typically world war ii right and we had to catch up to beat the germans uh the technological advances and then when you're looking at stanford's history it was very driven by the Cold War, right, and making sure that we had a technological edge on innovation over the Soviets, mm. right? And there's a, a really famous dean, Dean Terman, out of Stanford that sort of made Stanford what it is. I think people sort of forget that, right, that Stanford is not the sort of legacy institution like the MITs or Harvard or the Ivies, right? It's in the last 60 years that Stanford became Stanford. Really? That's awesome. Tell us a little more about that. What do you, what do you know? I, I've never heard of this in my life. Yeah, so the Dean Terman, he was sort of an amazing academic, in, particularly in electronics and, and radio frequencies, right? So when the government was trying to deploy money into all these different academic labs uh, across the U.S., the money would typically go to the MITs and, and the Harvards and so the dean, he was out at Stanford, he kind of just got really upset that he was losing all these grant money to all the other schools. And he's like, he vowed to never lose money again, right? And he started sort of poaching some of the academic talents from other schools, relocating them to Stanford. And then he would start doing negotiations directly with all the different government agencies. And little by little, right, he started getting more and more money and more spinoffs started coming out there. Thing, the, the thing that he really did that kind of changed everything was that he made spinning out companies out of a university super, super easy. Typically, it's a, a hassle having to deal with technologically, the technological office transfer, right? The mm-hmm. IP. And he made it the easiest thing, right? If you're an academic and you want to leave, it'll take us two weeks to sign a contract on how to license your previous research. You're more than welcome to take some of these graduate students with you. And I think that's what made Silicon Valley what it is. It's just this easy ability of leaving Stanford to go out and launch your company. Really? That- There's a really good book, uh, this, like Startup Communities, that kind of goes into some of the history of Silicon Valley versus like Route 128, which kind of 
you know, uh, in the, a similar time frame in the New York area, there was a big technology hub. But then over time, right, Stanford kind of overtook it. And uh, exactly what Carlos is saying is one of the big pieces. Another one that's kind of something that um, the that that kind of classic thread where Delian said, you know, what what if we moved Silicon Valley to Miami, or you know, what if we made a competitor to Silicon Valley, whatever. Um, tech people always say have non competes, make it really easy for talent to flow through everywhere, and uh, have easy access or transparent information. Uh, that was one of the big reasons why uh, Silicon Valley kind of overtook uh, New York in, in the tech race. Yeah, I think it's kind of our responsibility at some point to share our information. Like, you know, everyone kind of always gets butthurt about like, oh, these are my private medical records. But really, if every American turned over like a really great machine digestible copy of all their data like could you imagine the ai we could stick on it and like how much we could learn from just like instances of like you know oh this chromosome is related to this symptom and and all this stuff like how how, what else do you think could come out of like radical transparency uh of of this type of information yeah i I mean uh yeah the 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 there's definitely trade-offs between uh privacy and uh data transparency but like you can see that in China, for example, they have a similar kind of level of everyone is uh, no no one's really private. You collect uh, DNA from spit cups at the elementary school levels and, and stuff, and, and they, you know, they're starting to uh, you see TikTok, you know, beating us with all the AI algorithms, everything else. So you know, tons of people love TikTok. Uh, so that that's the type of thing that can come out of it. I love TikTok. <laughs> those the if, if that's what it's from it's just like better algorithms then there's something about it that but again uh there's also just tons of marketing budget and they got the right people doing it so i love tiktok because that's like you know, kind of where we landed but uh but yeah i mean you so you know you see how you know these uh these past you you have good views of how the past hubs developed but uh you know we're kind of in this post covid world world you know what do you think this next tech hub is going to look like is it just going to be miami or do you think it's going to be a little more defi or decentralized well so there's a there's a really good um so there's a vc Catherine boyle who's got a, a thesis uh, essentially that you know post covid world Everything is decentralized. Uh, I think Balaji also talks about that a lot. Um, and then they they also have a thesis. So um, yeah, Catherine Boyle, for some background, she's she was at General Catalyst. She's going to Andreessen Horowitz, and her thesis is essentially on civic tech and that it's decentralized, um, and that essentially people have lost trust in government institutions. Uh, and so as a way to kind of get around that, they're starting more in these types of companies that uh, serve the purposes that historically, uh, or at least more recently, government has been uh, kind of serving. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah, so to kind of piggyback off that, right, I if you look at the history of the other sort of innovation hubs, they all had a, a crisis or a war, right? It was either the Cold War or World War II, right? And I think Miami, we are still trying to figure out what that crisis or war is going to be for us. It could very well be, like you guys just mentioned, that our situation with China and this next sort of war for AI or machine learning supremacy could be something that Miami could kind of plug into, right? Another potential crisis is certainly climate change and the climate crisis. It's Mm. sort of a war 
against our own human behavior, right? And I think Miami being a waterfront city and kind of facing this, you know, the the crisis of rising sea levels, right? I think we're well positioned to to do something about it. The University of Miami has a top tier marine marine science school, right? And I think that could be a crisis. The other one is also the rising cost of healthcare, right? Mm-hmm. And Miami has the most expensive healthcare in the nation, right? So another potential crisis could be sort of this consumer distrust with our financial institutions and our government, right? And the the ushering in of D- DeFi or PropTech and GovTech, right? I think Miami could also plug into that. I think it's to be determined which one it is, but as far as a combination of really large problems that geographically affect Miami, there's a lot of them to pick from. Mm-hmm. And I'm really excited. And similarly, yeah, like the uh, the Miami government has been focused on investing in all three of those, um, you know, clean tech, biotech, and uh, crypto. Uh, we, we hear like, you know, the mayor saying we want uh, Miami to be the capital of capital. Um, but I think another another thing we, just to look at that is those three are uh, areas that we've already seen a lot of progress being made in. Uh, and then the rest of like deep tech, there's some structural issues uh, sort of preventing it from taking off, which the government can help uh, get involved in. So specifically, right, with a lot of deep tech or hard tech it's very high capex and so in other areas innovation centers there's a lot of lab space and uh, you know shared equipment uh, typically you know either a foundation sponsors it or the, the government or a university um, and when we have people who are looking uh, you know coming reaching out saying hey I want to move to Miami uh, these are my kind of sticking points so these are this is the areas that we're having trouble with um, a lot of people, they start. They they either come here and just say, "Okay, I'm just going to move to Miami. I'm going to do whatever it takes. I'm going to build a whole lab space and invest that money to make it happen." Uh, but if there were shared facilities and, and, a, and a decent amount of space, then it would be a lot easier to make that decision. Yeah, I think the incubator space in general is just because I, I, we you know we were talking before the show about how. You know, Miami's not going to be Silicon Valley because, you know, we just live in this remote world. And, you know, it's going to be it's going to be like the web. You know, when when Silicon Valley was created, it was kind of pre-Internet. Maybe there was some like crucible of the Internet, but it it definitely wasn't here. And, um, yeah, I think that's I think that's important to look at. Um, And but also uh, while we're decentralizing, you know, we're decentralizing the web with this Web3, you know, uh, let's talk a little about like, you know, what, what first of all. What was Web One? Was Web One just like the military talking to each other? Is you know because there's Web Two, the Web Two point I think Web One was uh, you just have static websites that uh, link around to each other, and that was the initial idea of the internet. Um, actually, there's a, there's a really good book. Uh, the founders, uh, the CEO of Stripe, Patrick Collison, loves it. I think it's his favorite book, The Dream Machine which kind of talks about the vision for the internet and like human computer symbiosis and all this stuff. He's like very prescient guy uh, from like the early, you know, I don't know, like the 1920s of kind of a world war two era. Um, but yeah, web one was just static. Web two was interactive. And then I think web three is decentralized. 
Yeah, yeah. I think it's I think it's a really important thing to do, especially in this age of censorship. Honestly, uh, I saw Pomp was recently uh, kicked off YouTube, and uh, you know if it's decentralized, you, you can't do that. Uh, what are some of the and and also you know it doesn't have to be just the internet. Web three can interact with hard tech too. Do, do you guys know of any you know initiatives being you know launched on these kind of either crypto blockchains or anything that uh that Web three can get involved with? Maybe moving those atoms around. You know, it's a really interesting thought, right? I think it's there's a lot to be determined on how these sort of def- decentralized apps are going to look like as far as like user interfaces, right? So what one I, I would personally describe as more sort of like the infrastructure, right? Mark Andreessen coming out of um, University of Chicago, Illinois, doing Mosaic and then launching Netscape, right? It was just people are finally getting plugged into the web. Mm-hmm. Then Web 2.0 would be, right, sort of the, the, the rise of all these now what we are, they're all Fortune 500 companies, right? The Facebooks, um, the social networking companies, and sort of building on that existing infrastructure to sort of deliver software mm-hmm. to consumers, right? And I think the Web 3.0, right, is like how do we do what Web 2.0 was but make it decentralized so there's not a, a hierarchy of who makes the decisions about the internet, right? And when you're trying to think of how does that apply to hard tech, right? I think it would probably be along the lines of Internet of Things, right? Of these sensors that are measuring our whole entire world and then how do we plug that back into the Internet to connect it, right? Mm-hmm. And it'll be interesting to see how DeFi takes on the, the Internet of Things and the overlap there. Off the top of my head, I can't think of any really yeah, interesting projects. One. I can't even think of any good projects that are being done on blockchain even now because like a lot of them, the adoption, besides NFTs, you know, the, uh, the UI is kind of clunky too because you got to get your MetaMask set up, which is like you know, like you know, yeah, it's got a it's got a button to push that you, when when it's time to push it. But you know, people aren't used to signing things. Like, why am I signing something? Like, what what is this? Um, so yeah, I think that's I, I think that's important. Um, but yeah, just I mean, what, what what so is there anything else inspiring you about this kind of decentralized movement? Well, so I, I want to maybe on the on Carlos's point about uh, Internet of Things and, and decentralization. Um, I don't know if it's necessarily about web, but the uh, there's a kind of there's a trend industry 4.0, which people are talking about. There's a lot of thought leadership around it. It's kind of talking about the uh, the fourth industrial revolution. So, you know, we have the three different versions of the web, and then we have four different industrial revolutions. Um, and it's all about, you know, historically, uh, factories have been, you know, closed off the internet or like not that secure. There's a, and now we want to uh, leverage big data AI uh, throughout the factory floor. And there's all these physical components. Uh, we want to connect that to something that has, you know, really high amount of processing power and be able to, you know, do machine monitoring if something goes wrong um, or make like intelligent decision making about uh, the manufacturing process and um, and so it's like okay well, connect it to the internet how do we do that in a secure way where uh, there's a there's a really interesting uh, cybersecurity startup now that when you look at it like um, uh, the I think that the manufacturing or industrial base of America is the most hacked into thing because the problem is so uh, like it's so worth investing in internet connection uh that they kind of don't invest as much into cybersecurity. Uh, so i think that's like a when you think about uh trying to like kind of avoid 
infringement from state power or whatever it is uh, that you know decentralization kind of brings. Uh, Industry 4.0 and like the cybersecurity movement is another area that needs a lot of investment in. Yeah, I th- I know that uh, just as a career choice, cybersecurity is a really good thing to get into because there's simply just not enough, and and it must be it must be crazy because to think about it, you know, I mean, if you have to lock your lock your front door, you know, you're kind of just keeping like, you know, just like low level criminals and and this out. But if you're online, you know, the the world is your oyster. You know, you can you can get hacked by anyone. You know, you can get hacked by you know Serbia or like Iran or any of these things. Do you guys know anything about cybersecurity? I I know not the first thing about it. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's a uh, it's it's very important. I don't I'm not a cybersecurity expert, uh, but I do know that there's a lot of uh, there's a really good book, the uh, the Cult of the Dead Cow, that kind of talks about uh, sort of the the rise of these internet hackers and um, uh, you know in, in the early days of the internet, the they were kind of these um misfits who wanted to you know uh, they, they were idealistic and they didn't they weren't like in, uh, motivated by you know profits or anything and it was kind of vigilante justice uh, or like you know hacking into the phone lines or you know saying like hey doing ransom things and things like that a lot of like high school students um and then over time it People realized that you know these these people could be used for uh, for good and, and helping out the government because it's, you realize like okay you know no one uh, knows what they're doing with cybersecurity except these guys and so there's kind of this arc where all of these early uh, early internet hackers become consultants for big tech comp- corporations or uh, the government. And it's just very extremely difficult to scale that because the expertise is not uh, is not in a lot of places. So now you start seeing startups like uh, Vanta, for example, or, or Security Score, Scorecard, um, uh, who are trying to make it so that a, a given security team can scale to many different companies. Because you you think about it like you know Google has one of the uh, highest or maybe the the strongest cybersecurity team in the planet. Uh, to the point where they're like hacking into Microsoft and Apple and, and saying, "Hey, you know, you need to fix this." Um, like no one else can red have team that. stuff. Right, yeah, like yeah, like they're they're at a certain scale. You start needing to uh, defend against nation state attackers who want to you know get into your customers' Gmail or you know. Um, I mean, I think that I think that the military uses Gmail, right? There were like scan, uh, scandals where people were. Uh, sharing messages in their email drafts or whatever like yeah so uh, how do you scale that up to many different places and especially in hard tech where uh, there's not as much software experience Uh, if you look at like manufacturing for example the people people just do not hire uh, silicon valley caliber engineers yeah and imagine like you get someone that someone like that in your firmware, and it's like really affecting how things. I mean, that's the big scare with Tesla, right? That people are going to hack your cars and just like you know, drive you off a cliff or something. Yep, either that or you uh, you you fall asleep. Well, that they they they've 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 solved for that pretty easily, pretty handedly, I'll even say. Um, let's get back to this Internet of Things here. I, I think during the during the hackathon, uh, we made the the D silo that little the little mushroom incubator, and I was really I was really impressed by not only the 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 sensors, but then also like 
uh, you know, the way I didn't I didn't even realize there was like these little pucks that could cool things too. And and uh, so, what are some of these things? You know, what are, what are some of these like uh, technologies that you see opportunity uh, to build on? You know, like, even if you don't know like the exact use case yet, what are some of these like sensors or technologies that that you could see being useful in the future? Yeah, no. So that was a really fascinating um, project. Shout out to my co-founder Jacob Orban. What up, Jacob? Yeah, it was um, his idea, and we kind of just ran with it, and it was amazing to see how quickly we were able to iterate on that during the the, the hackathon, right? So I think the whole the whole promise of Internet of Things is that anything that's physical that might have never really been that analytical in the first place could now become analytical, and in the space of agriculture tech, right? Of you know, farmers have had ways of doing things, and it was just kind of passed down knowledge on like this is the way that this is the the protocol for for watering your, your crops. This is a protocol on the right fertilizer, right? And they were never really able to do hypothesis-free sort of experimenting, right? They always had to be coming out of a, they were taking the, the best practices out of academic labs and they incorporate into their lives, right? And I think what's so fascinating about the vision for Dezilio, right, is that anyone could look at this data and make decisions on how to grow mushrooms better in, inside their house, right? And kind of taking this sort of knowledge of just democratizing knowledge where any hobbyist could have that same level of data and make better decisions on, on, on how to grow. I was just so impressed by how readily available all these little these little pieces are. You know, they, they fired a, a couple of these, a couple of those, a couple of heaters, uh, you know, the, 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 the thermometers, the, the humidity thing. They're all just kind of plugged in. Uh, are those all Arduino? Uh, well, so, yeah, so we have, uh, so far with Hartech Miami, basically we have a, a couple members who are kind of uh, makers and they've accumulated a lot of these sensors over time. So if someone wants to get started, uh, I would say either, you know, join a makerspace if it's open at this point, um, or just start with an Arduino or Raspberry Pi and like a, you know, uh, a kit that has wires and sensors and things like that that you can plug in. Um you know, at the end of the day, the the interface into it is all wires that you just connect to uh, pins on a on a board, um, and so generally speaking, it, it can be easy to to hook them up, um, and you might need to write a little bit of firmware like in C for for the Arduino. Um, but there's also companies like uh, Particle who are trying to make uh, you know plug and play IoT uh, sort of suites. So, you know, as an example, right, you can, um, you know, connect whatever sensors to a particle chip, particle board, um, put that into your, um, you know, into your hardware device, and then kind of just out of the box, you get a dashboard and uh, sort of a programmatic interface for it to report back um, whatever data it's collecting and, and also a way for you to really, uh, one of the one of the real big issues um in, in like industrial settings, for example, is that uh, you can't, it's not that easy to sort of do over the air updates. And so you, people have kind of learned from Tesla that, you know, over the air updates are really, really useful because then the software evolves, gets better over time. But that to do that in a secure way is extreme, is kind of difficult. Um, and so you can, you can leverage someone like Particle to, uh, you know, take the complexity out of it. 
Yeah, I think that's the the real beautiful part to a lot of this is that the complexity is coming out, and I think I think hard tech is kind of that nice blend between you know a, a little harder than just like spinning up a Firebase backend and you know throwing up some React side to do something uh, pretty easy. Uh, but we're we're definitely in this kind of like mid level that uh, you know it's it's definitely easy enough. Like Raspberry Pi has been around for years. Um, Arduino. Let, let's talk a little about Arduino because that was actually a word I, I haven't really heard before. Uh, before Miami, before the Miami Hackway. So Raspberry Pi is just the circuit boards. That's just the the hard the the the, is the firmware part. Is that how you, how you would say it? Uh, I would say uh, Raspberry Pi is a, it's like more of a beefy um, version of a of a Arduino that has like the whole you know you could put an operating system on it. Um, and so like a Raspberry Pi is essentially a full fledged computer uh, with you know in a very small form factor. An Arduino is a little bit smaller, a little bit less smart, um, and then typically I think has more um, pins for you to connect sensors and actuators and things like that. Uh, so yeah, that's what it seemed like to me. It seemed like that was the Raspberry Pi was very much, very much for software, even though it could control these things. But then the Arduino felt like that's where if you wanted like an elbow moving arm, you would you would hook those things up. So it, so it's it's so it's just the the chips. But then uh, Arduino is a, a company. Yeah, so it's a um, microcontroller is what the, the Arduino is, right? It allows you to sort of the microcontroller. Pro- yeah, yeah, exactly. Program anything. It has um, microprocessors in it. It has Wi-Fi, Bluetooth antennas, and I think what the Arduino Society has done is sort of made it so easy to really plug in this microcontroller to your computer and learn how to deploy and write C code or any other type of code to it and, and make quick little trinkets, right? It's um, it's never been cheaper to kind of dabble in the in the electronics community. And, and another thing that Arduino got right is is uh, modularity. So, I mean, like in the software industry, right, object-oriented code, uh, object-oriented programming was a massive movement because it helped you, you um, have code reusability and it could help you uh, abstract away problems such that you can work on them with larger and larger teams um, without having to deal like understand the complexity behind every different piece of the puzzle Um, arduino has kind of taken that same paradigm and applied it to hardware where you have these reusable uh, they call them shields uh, but basically there are these modules that can stack on top of each other like lego blocks and they will augment the capabilities of the um, uh, of the component. So, like, let's say you needed, you know, Bluetooth or whatever. You wanted like long-range communication with your system. Instead of having to uh, buy a bunch of different components and then wire them up into the very specific areas and then write some firmware for it, whatever, um, you can just kind of stack uh, another chip on top. Uh, and so that makes it really easy to get started on even more ambitious projects. So how you mentioned like you have to write some C code? Uh, how mod? How if so you, you have no programming background? How easy is it to to kind of get up and running with a, an Arduino or any of these kind of you know open source solutions? It's like uh, you you know uh, there's a program um, you can say you know take this particular. Um, you know, LED pin and turn it on and then wait a couple seconds and then turn it off. And that would be, you know, four lines of code with maybe a little setup. And uh, a lot of times I think the Arduino comes with a a sort of instruction manual that has tutorials for it. So I I think it's it's fairly approachable. 
if you just kind of start small. Yeah, I would say it's the equivalent of like a, an adult Lego set, right? There's such an amazing community of makers out there that pride themselves on making their passion as easily accessible to others, right? So if you go on communities like Hackster or you just go on GitHub and you start searching for quick little projects, it's very easy to kind of copy and paste that C code. And once you have the components, just put it into an, an IDE and just kind of push that code. It's, it's, it's pretty easy. You just have to be motivated enough to, to learn it. And if you want to, uh, if you want to learn, I think in you're in Miami, a really great place to go is uh, Moonlighter Makerspace. They uh, they actually were the uh, venue for our first ever uh, Hardtech Miami event, uh, and they were in the middle of renovating their new space. I, I'm not sure exactly when it'll it'll be completely ready. I think November, but the timeline might have changed. Um, so yeah, they, they're fantastic partners, and they're uh, they're kind of there for education. Yeah, I, I'm really excited about, you know, you guys coming here and, and, and really just leading this kind of movement uh, in the hard tech. Because I think a lot of it comes down to not even being able to program it yourself. Uh, because, you know, like Brian Chesney from, you know, um, Airbnb, it wasn't necessarily an amazing coder, but, you know, he, he was the solutions guy. And I think that being able to just be able to, you know, get these people in and say, hey, I can I can do this and like I can do this, 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 and this, and then continue to learn. And then maybe like two or three years down the road, they're like, oh, you know what? Like they they could at least think in the way that oh, I could hook up an Arduino with a couple little robot arms and and figure out my problem that way. Uh, and then you do have some some stuff uh, in the pipeline to just expose people to this. And you mentioned you want to have some open to the public. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. I mean, so like I I would say that uh, you know awesome organizations like moonlighter have been uh sort of holding the torch for educating uh you know educating high school college kids and uh, really being hands-on i think hardtech miami where we're trying to kind of add value is by um, helping the like most ambitious um, people who are already kind of they've already hit the ground running and are building really exciting companies um, so make sure those, that group of people can succeed as much as possible in Miami, attract uh, more of those types of people to Miami, and then serve as sort of that shining light um, to you know mentor other people who are uh, interested in joining. Or, or like as Carlos is saying, you know, have some of these people, you know, maybe walking the halls or you know just give a talk to a college, saying like, hey, you know, this is. I graduated from University of Miami, and now I'm making, you know, super schnazzy robots or, you know, whatever. Uh, and that, that might encourage people more to, you know, see see what's going on and stay and, and uh, further develop the community. I sure hope they stay. I like having everyone here. <laughs> I like to think we're being hospitable with everyone as well. Yeah, no, I think definitely it's a very exciting time to, to be in Miami Deep Tech. And I guess what's been holding us back are sort of these stories, right? I would say the Miami Deep Tech has a storytelling problem, right? Because we're, everyone's so, all these amazing founders are so smart and they're just so sort of overwhelmed by all their day-to-day operational challenges that have they have yet to sort of gotten the bandwidth to go out there and sort of inspire the next generation of, of local founders that might be around to kind of launch their, their deep tech companies as well. But I think the, the, the beauty of a network, right, is that the more the more it gets established, the more people could kind of share that that burden distributedly, right? And I think we'll 
those stories will, will be told and the next generation will get excited. And there's always a lot of problems out there to tackle, especially in Miami. And I'm beyond pumped to see what comes out of it. Yeah, man, I, I, I could not agree more. And, and I plan on telling a lot of these stories, you know, on that, that, that fateful Thursday we were all hanging out last week. Um, I think I got, I think uh, Ricky and Pedro are going to come on. Uh, I, I, like, busted into one of their conversations, and I'm like, all right, you two get an invite now. Uh, I'm going to bring Kumar on to talk about ag tech, and he's going to bring someone else on. And just a lot of stuff coming from there. Again, Bits moving atoms. I think any reason to to talk about this stuff and really shine a light on it to try. Yeah, again, and and uh, you know, I I've never found us necessarily have a, a storytelling problem, but you know, if if we do, let's definitely remedy that because you know, there's a lot coming out of here and um, some really it's it's been it's been a lot of fun too, and everyone's so everyone's so fun too, man. Like everyone's so cool when you get us all together and. Uh, and you know, and and and, and you, I don't know where where you ended up. We ended up at a, at Dante's Hi Fi after after that event on uh on which was which was amazing to like you know, hear all that like you know high quality hardware hitting you right in the dome. Uh, John, you, you you were over there too, right? For yeah, that, like two two weekends ago or something. Yeah, yeah. Big shout out to that place, um, guys. We're getting to the, the top of the hour. Anything else you guys wanted to cover? Anything you had to? Burning, burning things you wanted to get off your chest before we, before we peace down. Hmm, not too much, not too much, huh? How do, how does someone get in in contact with uh with Hard Tech Miami? Also, we've got uh, I guess yeah, just hardtechmiami.com. You can see a bunch of information about us. We're about to uh kind of revamp the website again, uh, after having done a couple more cool things um you can reach out to me channing at hardtechmiami.com or my sister alex at hardtechmiami.com and uh follow us on twitter it's just at hardtechmiami uh so we're going to be putting up member spotlights and uh sort of event recaps and uh you know announcing more and more things in the coming weeks uh so definitely check that out and um uh, yeah, and then we have a mailing list, which you can also access on our website. What about you, man? How do we uh, how do we how do we get one of these one of these spectral shirts? Uh, for now, it's mostly going to be for pro athletes and pro sports teams, but you know, you never know, right? Um, if you guys want to stay up to date on what I'm up to and what Spectral is up to, um, all our socials are at Spectral underscore Wear across all socials, and my name is Carlos Silverani and. I'm at my my name, Carlos Liverani, across all socials as well. And I guess just a big call to action to all the listeners out there, right? If it's happening, right? Get out there, get involved, go and attend all the events and go talk to your local deep tech founders. We're readily accessible and we want to contribute to the rest of the community. Yeah, we do. We do. All right, guys. Well, thanks so much for coming on. Uh, now it's time for a quick word from our sponsor, the Google Sheet. The Google Sheet is the single source of truth for all things Miami tech, art, and music. Uh, to find this Google Sheet, just go to thegooglesheet.com. That's T-H-E, googlesheet.com, where you'll be redirected to an open access Google Sheet, where you can view and add things happening in the South Florida area. Uh, let's go through this Google Sheet right now. What do you say? I, guys, I don't see any Hard Tech Miami things. Is that, what's that, when's the next Hard Tech Miami event? We were gonna, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna add it to the Google Sheet. Uh, I'll add it right now. What you know when it is? I'll I'll, I'll pencil oh, we, we it in. We don't have one to announce yet, but we'll, I'm gonna be uh, following up. 
I'll be following, following up soon. Mm-hmm. Well, as always, uh, we got Infinite Attraction here on Tuesday. Tomorrow is the on, because, you know, the obviously the Chris Adamo happy hours every other week, uh, and it's happening this time. Uh, on Thursday, it looks like we got uh, Emerge Americas presenting Celebrar. I think that is something having to do with Latin American founders uh, going on uh, at the brewery. And, um, you know, the, the Google Sheet is open access, uh, so, you know, not always going to be, uh, you know, this this initial read is not going to be uh, the final uh, iteration of it. So I uh, encourage everyone to kind of um, take a look back. Uh, next week, uh, an evening with Peter Thiel at the Perez. I got my ticket for that. I'm really excited uh, to, to see that, uh, listen to that. As well as uh, that same uh, that same day, there's actually the, the Miami Tech Brightline ride, uh, which I'm disappointed I'm not going to be able to attend. Uh, but everyone should check that out. Uh, looks like there's a couple more things. Uh, YMIA, powered by Endeavor Miami, that's going to be at the lab. Uh, Three Points Festival, you guys going to Three Points at all? Not on the itinerary, but um, happy raving. Yeah, yeah, man, I'm 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 super excited for that. And then also, everyone, just keep an eye uh, in the future. Um, I still I already have the Art Basel um, week kind of planned out uh, on the Google Sheet. So feel free to add anything that you guys might be doing. And um, yeah, guys, that- I, I would say one uh, one that's coming up. I'm not sure if it's been uh, officially announced or if it's uh, yeah. But uh, Fairchild Gardens is going to be having a hackathon co-sponsored by NASA. Uh, what? Yeah, which is going to be really cool. So I think that's coming uh, probably at the end of October. What are they going to hack on? And so basically, it's like space crossed with ag tech. So if you want to, yeah, if, if you want to take the silo and and uh, shoot it up to Mars or something, then that's that's the place to go. Wow, can you recycle old one? Because we already we already did that one. <laughs> we can we could just do a V two or something, kind of really really push in some of that computer vision. We kind of hand wave the first time around. Yep, yep. We can do we can do a bunch of different things. What's the uh, what's the what's the format on that? What's the format on that? Yeah, is it going to be like just a twenty four hour hackathon, like a like a standard one? Uh, yeah, or? it's a standard hackathon one day. Um, yes. Is it going to be at Fairchild? I believe so. Huh. Wouldn't I wouldn't think uh, <laughs> I wouldn't think going to the Fairchild Garden and see a bunch of hackers hanging out eating pizza. That's not what I that's not what I imagine when I think of Fairchild. We'll uh, we'll we'll follow up. We'll follow up. Yeah, it's a, it's in partnership with Moonlighter uh, Fab Lab, so I'll I'll uh, ask them what the details are there. Yeah, definitely keep us involved. All right, guys. Well, that wraps up our show. Thank you so much for coming on. Uh, if you've enjoyed what you listened, please give us a follow and uh, review on Apple Podcasts. Uh, we're live every Tuesday at 10 a.m. on Jolt Radio, and uh, we will see you next week. Thanks for having us. No, yeah, you got it, man. Super fun having you. 